0: Let's get ready to rumble! See, see, Ed said that I was supposed to be the hype man But anyway, it's episode number 37 of the Dev Hell podcast. And we got called super nerds for our various activities during the talk that we always do or start recording because we called the last episode 66. And our guest today, Paul Jones, tried to claim that he didn't know what 66 meant, but we knew he
1: we knew. Oh he yeah.
0: knew, <laughs> And he said something about how, how how the ladies can smell that on you for decades. And then I said, "Well, I'm married. That's exactly. So I don't, right. But I'm married, so I don't care how I smell." So welcome to episode number thirty-seven of the Development Health podcast. As always, it is me, Chris Hart, just the grumpy programmer. And on the other side of the microphone, I guess that might be right down in Pawnee, Indiana, is uh, Ed Finkler. Ed, how are you?
2: Oh, I'm excellent, Chris. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm open doing a good job as the
0: kind like and uh, our guest today is the man that uh, cal evans once called paul motherfucking jones today we have <coughs> paul m jones p.m jones is there some number are you p.m jones 88 or something no wait a minute on Twitter?
1: yeah i yes, go okay. by p.m jones 88 on it depends if p.m jones has already been taken i generally go with p.m jones what's with,
0: what's with the 88
1: Oh, that's uh, well. Several things. Uh, It's the year I graduated from high school. Uh, It's a double infinity. It's also my birthday, August
0: eighth, eight, eight. Oh, okay, that makes sense. I was going to say you almost make me feel old, but then again, I graduated from high school around that same time. Maybe one year later, nineteen eighty-nine. Maybe anyway. I feel old. Thanks, Paul. So um, anytime. So (laughs) so yeah. So we. I I wanted to. We we need to. I, I felt like Ed and I really needed to kick up our game with Dev Hell because we've been away for a little bit. Work interferes, life interferes. Um, sponsors get cranky when we don't give them the things that we promised them. So we have to crank out a few more episodes to make everybody happy. So we invited Paul on, because Paul is always a very interesting guy to talk to. Uh, I met him many, many years ago uh, at various PHP conferences. And before we get into a little bit more about Paul, I always love to tell this story. When I was at the PHP community conference in Nashville, and we were at the bar... Uh, at the hotel and i saw paul and he didn't see me and i basically <laughs> jumped him from behind and he spun around and i like, gave me the most nasty look and then he like pointed out to me why it wasn't such a good idea for me to do that <laughs> basically all i'm gonna say is it's america there's guns and a certain individual has a permit to carry one so that's all i'm gonna say about the outcome of that whole thing but uh it certainly was interesting Um I just always thought Paul knew it was me, but then I forgot. I'm in a place where people shoot other people in Canada, not so much, but at least no one's taken a you shot got, at shot at me yet.
2: You, you guys just shoot moose and moose other you and, shoot animals. Moose
0: and deer, and uh, yeah, and a lot of people shoot up, and apparently as well. And that's but that's pretty much universal across North America.
2: Yeah, I think we're all on the same page with that. Yes.
0: In fact, the mayor of Toronto has actually done so much bad stuff like that. He's actually trending news on CNN of all places. But that's, we're not here to talk about our crack-smoking drunk mayor in Toronto. We're here to talk about Paul. So, Paul, for those who don't know you, and I'm shocked if anyone who listens to this podcast does not know who you are, why don't you talk a little bit about yourself and why you and why you think we invited you on?
1: Sure. Uh, well, first of all, I never assumed that anyone actually knows who I am, so it's, it's nice to hear you guys say that about me. Um... So I've been working in PHP for, God, 14 years now. What does 1999 make it? Anyway, so I've been working in PHP since 1999, uh, since the bad old days of PHP 3 turning into PHP 4. And in that time, uh, I've been everything from a junior developer to a senior developer to, to an architect to a VP of engineering. Uh, I'm most, you know, most recent things have been like being a web architect at a place called parksman.com. Uh, I've been very active in the community. I was one of the first uh, when Pear, when the pair project went away from uh, in its sort of its founders being in charge of it to there being open elections for people being in charge of it. I was one of the, the first people elected to, uh, to to the pair group. Um, I worked at Zend for a little while. Uh, I am responsible for some of the early Zend Zend framework one components like Zend DBs, Zend View, or Zend Views, Zend table. Uh, if you like those components, then I'm, I'm very that, that makes me happy. If you don't like them, I'm going to claim that they got changed after I left. Um, while I was, in fact, just before I was at Zend, I was working on. I started a, a framework called Solar. That's S O L A R. It's actually one of the first, if I recall correctly, it's the first PHP five e strict framework available, uh, even before Zen Framework one. Uh, and since then, I've worked at a lot of different places. I worked at OmniTI, I worked at Mashery. Um, and my latest project is the Aura project. Uh, it's PHP 5.4 collection of libraries, independent packages that can be composed into a uh, that can be composed into a framework, but they're also you know, usable independently. Before I did all of this, of course, I was in the Air Force. Uh, the joke is that I was paid to be a spy. Uh, but I was in Air Force Intelligence for eight years, which sort of changes how you look at things. Uh, a lot of people get really upset if something doesn't ship on time. You know, that's sort of their bar for, for things going wrong, and my bar for things going wrong is, you know, somebody gets dead or somebody goes to jail for disobeying orders. So, uh, yeah, so that's my background. Perspective. Helps you or not. Perspective yeah. is what you're getting at. What, yeah. yes. what a
0: Debbie Downer you are at the end of all that.
1: <laughs> well, I don't have – it's not like I've got notes in front of me normally. When I, when I give that intro, I actually give it backwards. I say the Air Force stuff first, so.
0: All right, you well, that's just, all we got yeah. time for. No. All right, it's <laughs> time for <laughs> the show. Wow. You killed it.
2: Sorry, dude. Uh, all right. <laughs> We're really on the ball here, I can Man. tell you. Oh, and so uh, also,
0: Ed pointed out to me that I forgot. As always, we need to mention our awesome sponsors. First of all, let's thank uh, Engine Yard for continuing to let us roll in cash. Engine Yard, fine, fine purveyors of platform-as-a-service, including the folks that used to be part of orchestra. I think it's just called P.H., what is it called now? Engine yard platform? Uh, I should really look up what it's actually called. I keep thinking of it as orchestra. You know how you get set? You, you, you think things are named something and when the name changes, you don't go along with it. People do that around here with like grocery store chains. My wife always calls the local grocery store by the name it used to be before the name that instead of the name it is now. I, I guess that's neither here nor there. So. Thank you very much to Engine Yard for continuing to sponsor the awesome work that we get to do on DevHell. And also, uh, the Wonder Network. Thank you so much, Paul Reinheimer and Will. Is that his guy? He always makes do all the tough stuff for us. Other guy. Other guy. Other guy, whatever his name is. I think it's Will. Uh, For always donating the bandwidth so we can do our live uh, stream. So thank you, Paul. And I will see Paul at uh, True North uh, later this week as we record this, as we record this on the 3rd of November in the year of our Lord, 2013. So, enough sponsor stuff. So, um, like we said, you've been doing PHP for a long time. As long as I've been been doing because I started with it in 1998, so really at the beginnings of the bad old days of the Switch from 3 to 4. I don't actually remember doing any work in PHP 3, but it's such a long time ago. Who knows? I might have, and then quickly change things over when 4 became stable um, so you know what would you say Paul that the most significant changes that you've seen uh, since you started working with PHP
1: so there's I guess there's a couple of categories of stuff that I would that I would talk about first one is PHP the language uh, the language itself is, is like widely hugely different than it used to be in PHP 3 there weren't really any objects and then PHP 4 you started getting an object model uh, but everything was public. Uh, there wasn't, you know, there was any private or protected or anything like that. So you had things like the the pair group uh, writing writing standards on how to indicate things were uh, were protected or private by putting an underscore in front of in front of variable names, in front of class or in front of method names, that kind of thing. Um, and then when PHP five came around, you started seeing a much a much better object system. Uh, not not perfect, obviously, but but infinitely better than it had been before. Um, so that's sort of the language, and then, of course, you know, 5.2, five, five, 5.3, five, 5.4 five, have all really stacked on top of that. Um, the, the other thing that I've, that I've seen happen in PHP land is sort of the, the approach to how PHP gets written. Uh, when PHP 3 started out, it was basically a, a bunch of include scripts. You know, you would include a bunch of different files, and merely by including the file, you would... You invoke new behaviors. Now, you know, when PHP 4 started coming out, you started seeing something like class orientation rather than an include orientation. And along with that switch, you started seeing, and, and really when, when the switch happened from PHP 4 to PHP 5, it used to be that the word framework was a really bad word in PHP land. If you said the word framework, then anyone in PHP... Anyone using PHP said, well, you know, we don't need your framework. We're going to do things the way we want. Uh, We don't need someone else on how to do things. Maybe we'll work with libraries, but we really don't need a framework. And then uh, after Rails came out, suddenly the word framework became very popular. And so PHP people started moving away from libraries and started moving towards frameworks. And frameworks started becoming really cool. Um, strangely, the word content management system or the word CMS has been popular the whole way through. So if you had a CMS, that was fine. But if you had a framework, ooh, that was terrible until Rails came out. And then if you had a framework, ooh, that was awesome. Yeah, that's what you needed to have. Um, and I think, and as, as Ed has pointed out uh, on several occasions, uh, there seems to be a moving back from frameworks as a whole in PHP land and you know, advocating that way of working to uh, sort of, I, I will say, bundles of libraries or components or even individual libraries uh, to go back more towards the idea of cobbling together just the pieces you need and then, and then maybe gluing them together, and then that being how you work in PHP. I don't think we've, the, the pendulums swung all the way back there. I think it's sort of settling in the middle where people who want frameworks get frameworks and people who want independent components get them too. Uh, so there is more variety i think in how php is used in uh among developers today
0: i mean do you think maybe some of this, the the swing back the other way is just because i mean it seems to me that uh the other scripting languages that you could see as being and i'm doing air quotes here competitors of php even though competitors is probably not the right word a lot of them yeah, same, a lot of them have seemed to um the community has for the most part picked one framework uh or and run with it with the ruby people by and large if you're doing ruby stuff you are all probably doing rails i would say probably 90% of the time uh with the with the python folks Probably the vast majority of them are using um, Django, and the rest are using things, all the micro ones, Flask, or they're using Pyramids or, or other stuff like that. So whereas PHP still very much is going through the phase where um, everybody is slamming out their own framework for whatever reason, because they feel the existing ones don't meet their needs, or or their ego needs a boost, so they want to write something themselves. I'm not. I'm not. Whoa. I'm. What was that? I'm not. Uh, what did you do? It wasn't me, dude. Um, it's Paul probably lighting up a cigar if I know him. With his, yeah, with I his...
1: still my bird in there. Sorry. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and, yeah. a, and, a, and he has a snifter of brandy next to him, too. Um, it seems like there's still this... People are determined to try to do things their own way. Um, and there hasn't been that consolidation where everyone's saying, let's... Uh, Let's all put our collective efforts behind one sort of standard framework with the hopes of, like, lifting all boats. I mean, I, I saw an interesting discussion the other day um, from, by um, Vance Lucas. I don't know if you guys know him or not.
1: I've, I've worked with him. Okay, yep. cool.
0: Okay, so he, he, he talked about how, like, in the Ruby world, people are starting to standardize on Rack as kind of a middleware. Now, the idea of middleware is not a very common one uh, in the PHP world. So he was lamenting that on the PHP side of things, people don't do that sort of stuff. And some people pointed out, well, there's this thing called Stack, which, of course, is terribly named because to search for it on Google is a pain. You always have to do Stack and PHP and then hope that maybe everything um, comes together. Um, It's just interesting that that two communities have chosen to kind of rally around one kind of standardized way of doing things, and PHP is still determined to do it their way.
2: I'm going to argue for a second about that. All right, um, but but uh, just as a quick thing, uh, I think Ruby. I, I, Sean was saying that he thinks it's a little bit less true of Ruby these days, and I, I think that's probably true. Although I still think that Rails is really pretty dominant, um, at least as a web framework. Um, I sit, you know, there's still some people mess around with something like Sinatra. I think the thing I'd most disagree on is I actually think it's a lot more um, polytheistic, let's say, in uh, in uh, Python. Um, and I think Python is much less wrapped around a particular framework than, than say Ruby is. Um, but it is interesting to see, just as an aside, um, to see particularly the, it seems like in the Ruby community, there's, um, uh, there's now some push, like, towards, uh, trying to figure out how to break apart your application so that uh you can scale it properly in terms of like getting better performance um I feel like I have to say that because scale doesn't really mean anything um but uh you'll hear I I've seen a few times people talk about monorails <laughs> on, in in uh in uh with rails applications which are Hey, wavy, we, if we write the entire application as a single Rails application, um, maybe that doesn't end up being performant, um, for our needs, uh, in some cases. And how do we break that apart? And it's not surprising they're going through that because that's not, that's going to be a problem you have when you use a thick full stack framework and you write everything in that. And then you have to figure out how to break it apart. Um, the, but, but I think that. Uh, I, Sean said IRC, and I think this is exactly, he said it better than I would. He said that in my experience, the Python community is much, is very much less religious and much more pragmatic than the Ruby community. And I think that's true. That's not to say there are not many very pragmatic people inside doing Ruby work, but I think in general, the culture of Python is very pragmatic. So, yeah, there's a lot of people who do Django, but It's not, it doesn't seem to, it doesn't seem like it's the obvious choice the same way it is, like in, like, like with Ruby stuff. Um, however, I think the big thing is that what you're kind of getting at is how that contrasts with PHP. And I, I think it really comes down to the culture of PHP. And that's, that comes from the culture of the leadership, uh, or lack thereof that it's all, it's basically just kind of anarchy. And, uh, and I think that's okay. Um, but what that means is that you're you're never going to get a, a a single like let's all get behind this thing. That's not what. That's not. People don't go to go to PHP because like for that because that's not the culture of it. That's just and that's not that's from top down. I think that's the case. Now I'm going to shut up and let Paul talk about it.
1: I, I think you've already touched on most of the things I was going to say. Um, <laughs> the, there, there is a, and I, I don't remember who it was. It might've been Max Weber. The, uh, the culture of an organization descends from its leadership. Uh, if you look at the leadership behind Ruby, there is essentially one guy who's in charge of the language. Uh, if you look at the leadership behind Python, there's essentially one guy in charge of language. If you look at the leadership behind PHP, you really don't find any. You find a bunch of people arguing about what's going to go in the next version. Um, People who come, in in addition to that, people who come to PHP come to it not because they are professional programmers by and large. They come to it because they're working for an organization. They happen to be the most computer literate person in their organization. There's uh, something that needs to go up on the website uh, because they are already sort of computer oriented. They, They find PHP. They realize they can slap together a couple lines of code, put something on the website, and it'll run. Uh, they don't have a formal background. I'm not saying that everyone in PHP and Ruby has a formal background, but it's, it's been my experience that they tend to be more like professional programmers than most PHP programmers are when they start out. Um, so as a result, you get you know, PHP people who are used to doing their things their own way. They've never been told to do them any differently. They're, self, they're mostly self-taught. Uh, and as such, you get this, this proliferation of... Different approaches. I'm not going to say different different approaches is not the right word uh, of repetition in similar approaches among lots of different people because uh, they're not necessarily talking to each other. They're used to doing things their own way in their own organizations, and it's only much later in their careers if they end up doing PHP programming on a regular basis. It's only much later in their careers that they realize, oh wait a minute, maybe there are better ways of doing this. Uh, maybe I don't have to do everything my own way. I don't have to write all my own stuff. And that's when you start to see, this, start to see people uh, moving away from their own way of doing things and maybe adopting things from other people.
0: So what other, like, I know you do tons of PHP stuff, but like what other languages and and you know applications, stacks, and architectures do you work with these days?
1: Sure. So I'm, I'm boring on that front. Uh, I've almost everything I do is in PHP. I've done some pro work. I've done a, I, I can read Python and Ruby mostly. Um, but I have really done very little work in those languages on my own other than experimental stuff. The organizations that I've worked for have tended to have uh, people who are experts in different disciplines work together. So if Python works needs to happen, then we have a Python guy on staff. If there's SQL tuning that needs to happen, then there's, there's a database administrator on staff or a database analyst on staff. Uh, if there is JavaScript, UX, UI stuff that has to happen, there's, there's a UI, UX guy on staff. Uh, so, and again, in the places that I've, that I've worked, my specialty has been PHP architecture and PHP. are making sure the web apps interface properly with the different things that are going on. Uh, and, that's, and that's been pretty much the extent of it. That's
0: interesting, it's interesting because it's actually quite rare to find, uh, I think on the web side of things, people who have been, Forgive me for the use of the phrase a one-trick pony when it comes to the language that they use. Most people who do web stuff end up end up out of necessity as they bounce around from job to job and you know task to task, picking up other things along the way. I mean, I've done mostly PHP as well, but um, I'm primary a rarity because I, I I tell people what I do for a living. I'm kind of like an electrician. Uh, I'm messing with wires inside the walls and trying to make sure everything doesn't spark and set the house on fire. Whereas I'm not doing any of that front end stuff, and I'm not doing a lot of architecture stuff. I'm just like I'm making sure everything keeps working properly.
1: Right, right. Yeah, it's, it's a relatively rare thing, and I don't know if I am better for it or worse for it. Clearly, I you know I've got deep expertise in PHP, um, but you know there there as in all things, there are trade offs. Uh, it means that if there's no PHP stuff going on, then I'm not particularly useful. <laughs>
0: Wow, that was a hell of a uh, softball uh, you just logged to uh, us, so I guess I'll ignore that one. All right. Um,
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: so let's get on to another one of the reasons why I wanted to get you on the show um, is the uh, Aura framework. Um, and, those who, all right. and those who follow me on Twitter, all 4,000 and change of view, have heard me talk about how I, I'm planning on using Aura um, in my screencast that I'm doing this winter that I will be selling for a Boku Yeah, follower or brag. Yeah, oh, it's a brag, totally. <laughs> Uh, my wife tells people, and they're like, how does he do that? And my, and my wife's like, I have no idea. So um, I tell her because it's, it's because of my animal magnetism. Because um, you're so cool. Uh, yeah, compared to other people, sure, um, including some on the podcast. So uh, <laughs> the reason I wanted to use it was because I felt, it was, I felt that aura out of, the, out of the PHP frameworks that I've taken a look at and used, and I, I have used tons of them. Is uh, um, you seem to have like gone all in very early on the standalone part of it, and by standalone I mean really, really standalone. Not like where some frameworks call something standalone and it actually like pulls in like twenty or thirty other packages to make its standaloneness work. It's like you, 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 and your contributors, and um, Harry's the other one that I know uh-huh, uh, uh-huh. Uh, that I know has done a lot of work on it. Um, You guys seem to decide really, really early on that we want to make this standalone and we're going to push really hard to have everything independent. And of course, and it warms my grumpy little heart, well tested as well. What what made you decide to go that way? Because I mean, I don't know enough about solar if you really made the same kind of commitment to have everything independent. So I'm just wondering what made you decide to do that instead of what I see these days as most of the kind of component-based frameworks are doing, where they're going for loosely coupled, but many many things have dependencies on other stuff, whereas the dependencies are probably not as bad as it used to be with the bad old days of full stack, where you really needed to drag everything along with you to accomplish anything beyond just a little simple CRUD interface for something. Um, but it's like you can build frameworks, you know, you look like what Igor has done with YOLO, which is such an awesome name for a framework. You can grab a bunch of components from here and there, slime them all together, and you have a pretty usable framework. But Aura has kind of, you know, they've done the Spinal Temp, spinal tap, crank it up to 11
1: to really make it so that it really is all, uh, standalone.
0: So what made you guys decide to do it that way?
1: So the, 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 what it really comes down to is a case of taking our audience very seriously. And in, in addition to that, it used to be one of my blog mottos used to be, if it's worth doing, it's worth overdoing. Uh, so, so the idea was again, with the solar framework, we started that, I don't remember 2004, 2005, and it, you know, it ran for like six, seven years, um, but the problem was, like everything else at the time, Symphony 1, Zen Framework 1, Cake, you know, everything out there, Code Igniter, it was a monolithic framework. If you wanted to use it, you had to use, you had to download the whole thing, because everything was really tightly bound together. So one of the, the questions that we got over and over again went, uh, was, you know, I just want to use one part. I just want the database component of Solar. Can I just download that, just use that, use that, without having to like, configure the whole framework, download the whole, the whole thing? Of course, because it's a monolithic framework, you can't really do that yet. You could download the whole thing and then kind of use just the piece that you wanted, but it's dependent on other stuff, and maybe there are things you need to configure in other places that uh, that, that you didn't wouldn't necessarily think about if all you wanted to use was, say, the, the database component. So after talking with all the, the major contributors. Two solar at the time, guys like jeff moore and 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 other guys, uh, we decided to start out from the other direction that is, we wanted to completely avoid this question of can you use just this one piece? Can I download just the database component? Can I download just the the view component and use just that? We wanted the pieces to be able to use to be usable you know, completely on their own, and, and then the key to that was we didn't want you to have to download any other pieces to use just the piece you want, because then you're kind of back in the same situation. Um, we, we, when, we, when we talked about this, we talked about it in terms of writing the libraries first, and then if we ever got around to a framework, we would write the framework last, or the, or the frameworks, so library first, framework second. Um, and, that, and that one decision led to uh, a lot of other architectural, it sort of dictated a lot of other architectural uh, policies. Uh, for example, solar—the original version, you know, solar—the the, the version one from you know 2004, 2005 that ran for seven years or whatever it was—it used a service locator as its inversion control mechanism. I didn't know at the time that it was called service locator. I think we called it solar dependency, um, but it's essentially a service a service locator container that's used throughout the whole system. And when you've got a monolithic system, you know maybe that's that's okay. But when you have independent libraries that can't necessarily depend on the existence of any of the other libraries, a service, a, a service locator is not going to do it for you. Uh, either you end up writing a service locator in every package, which... Frankly, it's not that great an idea. Or you need a service locator package that every other package depends on, and now you've just busted your principle of having everything be completely independent of everything else. So by saying libraries first, no dependencies on any of the libraries, really the only other option is is dependency injection proper, uh, where there's no container that gets passed around. You have to pass in exactly what your dependencies are. Uh, If a particular component does happen to need something like a service locator for its own purposes, it turns out in PHP 5.3 and in 5.4, obviously, uh, writing a service locator is just dead, stupid, simple. Uh, so if you actually need a service locator within a library for that one particular one, you know maybe that li- that library will have it, but none of the service locators are shared among any of the others. Um, so you end up, so again, you end up using things like dependency injections, of service load care. Uh, because they're all completely self-contained, it means all of the tests go in each package. That is, if you download a, uh, an aura library, it's not a subtree split of something else that's where it's all combined together. I mean, it's completely self-contained. You get the tests with it. You get the, uh, you get the documentation with it. If it's got web assets, you got the web assets with it. So again, that, that one, Decision early on to make things completely independent so that you can use them independently without having to use anything else from the system uh, had a really wide ranging series of effects on how we did everything else. And there's a lot more to that, and I can go on about that at length if you feel like it. Things like separating interfaces and data transfer objects, stuff like that.
0: Oh, I'm sorry, I fell asleep for a minute there. Okay, so. <laughs>
2: I don't know what any of that stuff means. Oh, God. <laughs> um, that, hey, I, I'm, I'm embarrassed because um, I just haven't... I probably... Uh, I it, Yes, I'm embarrassed because I just haven't written stuff with dependency injection and service locators and stuff like that. So it's one of those things that... Um,
1: I have. Is the simplest thing in the world, man. All it means is if you need something, you pass it in from the outside and start trying to grab it instead of being on the inside and trying to pull it in.
2: Okay. So that, it, it, I've, I've probably done that with um, yeah. actually more in JavaScript because there's a, there's a a a library called RequireJS. And one of the things that it does is it enforces basically a module pattern on JavaScript stuff uh, so that you have to like say, if you want to have objects available to you um, and let's say that object is is or that is is stored in a script like you want say jQuery or underscore those are two you 've probably heard of right. jQuery, right. you may not have heard of underscore, but underscore is really popular or let's say backbone the backbone libraries or right, like right. that you um uh, what you do is your whole like your whole module gets encapsulated inside a function, and the arguments that get passed to that function are, um, the libraries that require JS downloads and then it, uh, spits into your, uh, into, into the module that you're writing. So, for example, you give it, you say, um, you say, okay, define this module and get, pass it, uh, this set of scripts and say this script is like where jQuery is located in the path to jQuery, the path underscore, the path to backbone. And then it's passed as the argument, the parameters to the, to the, to the, uh, function. So that like the first one's jQuery, the second one's underscore, and the third one's backbone, da, 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 da. So it does more complex stuff than that. Um, but it's basically a way to try to, uh, it's kind of a, ends up being a big black box, but it, that, that, that library is basically a way to try to solve, like, hey, I have to include three five different libraries in something, and um, maybe there's a, a way to encapsulate stuff better than, you know, you just include three or five libraries in your index.html and then just hope that everything keeps working. Okay, so, you know, the idea is to make it more testable, and modular, and stuff like that. So, uh, it's probably doing basically the same kind of thing.
1: It, it sounds similar. It sounds like a combination of dependency management. Yeah, it figures out what the things are that you're going to need and it loads them up for you. Um, I can't tell from your description if it, when you create an object, it automatically takes those dependencies and drops them in for you. Uh, that would make it more of a dependency injection container, right? Um, but again, I mean, I'm not a JavaScript guy, so.
2: Yes. Uh, I don't know. It does some magic, and I don't get it. So <laughs> Right, right. Uh, well, it might, it yeah. might
1: very well be a DI container, then. DI containers seem very magic if you're not used to
2: them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and, I, anyway. and I think
0: that actually Paul raised a pretty good point. I think a lot of people use dependency injection. They just don't know that it's called that. They don't know that yep. there's a formalized term for it. And they've used – if you've ever used an application that has, like, a registry, a globally available registry, well, you're sort of – it's it could be described as a – service locator as well. So I think it, I think anyone who's used a framework in the past little while that has some sort of configure object that you can throw shit into during your bootstrap and then it's globally available to anything else, um, you've used these things. So I just again I think it's just one of the things I know that Sean made a joke that it's fancy computer science words, but <laughs> it, it's a concept, but I think many people have used them. They just don't know what they're called. And then when you start I notice that some people um not just in the computer world, but in other things, get really twitchy when you apply labels to things that they use already and they become convinced that the thing that they're doing isn't really the thing that you've you've
1: labeled, but chances are it is. Yeah, and that's the – in fact, this goes back to the talk about design patterns. You know, you'll know, you see some people, you know, well, I like design patterns. And other people say, you don't need design patterns. But the point of design patterns is that you're probably already doing those things that design patterns are talking about. I mean, if you go and look at patterns of enterprise application architecture by Fowler – uh, when you start looking through that book, you see the descriptions of the things that he's talking about, things like template view and transform view and you know, model view controller. You realize you're doing them already. The key is not that these patterns exist. The really important thing is that we've got a common vocabulary to talk about them. So that if I say the words dependency injection or if I say the word service locator, I don't need to describe to you a great length exactly what's happening uh the the vocabulary you've got the right you've got the right vocabulary it's a it's a descriptive term for a well understood concept
2: <laughs> yes once again <laughs> i got caught uh typing into IRC <laughs> and, uh, so sorry <laughs> about that. that
0: no i mean that's that's really the thing like like design patterns it's a, i i think it's exactly the same thing if you get the book and i have a copy of it uh in my bookcase here in the fortress of Grumpitude down in the office here And, uh, and yeah, really, when you start looking at it, it's like, yeah, I recognize it's like, oh, I recognize this sort of thing. I just didn't know. I didn't know it had a name. And I think what the design patterns, I think the role of the design patterns as well is supposed to be too that when you're supposed to be able to recognize, I have a particular problem that I'm looking to solve. And then you're like, oh, right. This pattern helps me solve this problem. Therefore now I have like a shortcut to actually solving the problem. Cause like all the stuff where I would have to normally sit down and think about how would I want to handle this thing? It's like someone else has a template that I can use and then try to implement it in whatever language that you're trying
1: to do it. The template is exactly the word I would use for it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, so since I'm uh, big on uh, drama in the PHP world, being a Twitter whore, um, Uh-oh. uh, so as people know, I like to, I've spent an inordinate amount of time ragging on creators of various frameworks. I've pinged on everybody from uh, Supreme Allied Commander Matthew uh, O'Finney. We're O'Finney. MWOP, as we all know him. Uh, I've poked fun at Symphony, and I always get drowned by negative tweets from Symphony people. That's why you block early and block often,
2: kids. Twitter's awesome for that. (laughs) Um, Symphony people seem particularly sensitive. I don't know why.
1: I I don't know. I'm, I'm familiar, familiar with it, that problem. It, well, I mean, <laughs>
0: yeah, I <bet. laughs> well, I mean, could it be? Uh, could it be this case of the of the group taking on the personalities of the main developer? I don't know Fabian very well. Fabian seems like a really smart guy, and he's done. A, I think he's done a tremendous job with uh, with Symphony. I have no idea if he's like hypersensitive to criticism, but there are sure a lot of people who use Symphony who seem to be very hypersensitive criticism. I've 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 gotten into it on Twitter with uh Taylor Otwell from Laravel. Most of my problems with Laravel have to do with its marketing and the use of uh statics masquerading as facades as they whatever they wanna call them, they're still look like statics to me. But um uh where was I going with this? Oh yeah, so <laughs> So there was like a little Twitter fight, which is kind of like a rap beef between uh, For those who are old school, like Funkatron. Ed knows what I'm talking about when I talk about a rap beef between Paul and Taylor and well, And it's like, it seemed neither of you guys understood that the other was joking. And so it made me, I had a little note in our little pirate pad about, about the concept of framework politics. Of course, there's framework politics. It's just kind of interesting how it's like, what is the end game for a framework supposed to be? Like, like, is it, is it domination? Like when you decided, okay, I'm going to do a framework. The goal is not really, I want this thing to be dominant. It's like you start off by saying, I want to create something that helps me solve the problem I'm facing right now. And then usually after a while, you're like, you know what, maybe I abstract this a little bit. Other people will find it useful. And then pretty soon the thing picks up its own momentum. And then you have people fighting your fight for you, and maybe have fighting battles that don't exist or don't need to exist. I'm just wondering, like from your position as someone who is in a lot of these kind of political battles, you, you were with pair. So, you know, all about that. And you're on yeah, the yeah. And as a, and as the create main driving force, the framework, framework, you're familiar with the arguments flung at framework creators. And then with your also um, masochistic involvement with the PSR stuff, you're like really familiar with what goes <laughs> on there. So I'm just kind of wondering, like when you talk about the politics, like what's the end game of something like a framework, what is it that you're like, at some point, does the framework become bigger than the creator and it kind of takes over and has its own momentum?
1: I, I, I don't know. I've never been in the position of the framework sort of taking on, you know, in, of a framework working the way you're talking about. It. Usually they, it seems to me they either start out big with big momentum to begin with or they, they just kind of languish as, as niches or boutique stuff, you know. I, I think the primary issue is one of... If you'll pardon the phrasing here, I, I mean it to apply to all of them, including mine, uh, is one of tribalism. Uh, people have a certain way of working or franchising, if you like. Uh, people have a certain way of working. They have a certain community that they feel at home with. They have a certain set of people that uh, that they get along with, and, and they have a certain worldview that goes along with all of that. And so, if anyone comes, anyone else outside of that tribe comes along and says, "You know, we're a different tribe. We're doing things differently." then you don't see people people think of themselves, developers think of themselves as being rational and scientific, but they, they, they devolve very quickly back to sort of these tribal behaviors where if someone comes along and says, there's a, a, you know, we're doing things a different way, then it's not seen merely as a different way of doing things. It's seen as you as being wrong. You know, somehow you are bad for comparing and contrasting two different ways of doing things, or for having the temerity to, to have different requirements than someone else has, uh, or for failing to see the greatness of the thing that that you, the tribe that you belong to. Uh, and I think, that, I think that fuels a lot of these debates. Uh, I am not going to pretend that I'm immune to it, I am going to say that i that I tried to be aware of it. uh people who know me know that I tend to pay attention not merely to technical aspects of development but to the social and managerial aspects of development and I, and I think because of that I'm more aware of these kinds of things um and i and I think that's the core of what goes on with this kind of stuff. Um, in addition to that, you get people who will sort of scan quickly anything that is uh, uh, that might happen to mention their tribe, and when their tribe is mentioned in anything other than glowing ador- with terms other than glowing adoration, uh they will stop right then. They will make a comment about how the writer is clearly stupid, evil, and wrong, and then uh all of the other people who belong to that tribe will come in and, and back up that commenter. Um, again, I've seen that happen time and time again. Uh, not just with people who say, well, comment on my blog when I make compare, compare and contrast uh, uh, blog posts. But in all of them, uh, Symphony 2's and uh, CodeIgniter, you know, name it, that, that behavior happens. So when you talk about framework politics, I'm not quite... When I think of politics, I think of internal debates on how to run things, not intra, not, not inter, intra instead of inter. Uh, when I think of inter... Uh, i think of i think of tribal conflicts maybe not, not maybe is
0: a, a framework partisan politics a better way to describe it
1: maybe um again i would i would when I think of politics, I think of trying to decide ways in which to divide shared resources uh that are shared common resources uh not uh, ways in which to resolve uh different worldviews between. Uh, uh, let's say again, we'll say tribes that don't otherwise have anything to do with each other. Does so that make sense?
0: No, you're avoiding yes. answering my but question. I, totally.
1: Yes. <laughs> 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 makes sense to me.
0: <laughs> Spoken like a true army intelligence See, and, person.
1: And, and there's, and there's another thing right there, you know, you say that, and, and, and I, I believe you when you say that you think I'm trying to avoid answering a question. Uh if, I would write a blog post like that, and you were to answer that question. I would answer you the way I did. Other people would start screaming at me about how I'm avoiding what you're saying, and why don't I just answer you straight? And how I'm trying to be too clever by getting around your terms. It's just you know people don't always people don't always keep their own biases in mind. They don't always keep their own prior uh, their own prior beliefs in mind. And again, I'm as guilty of this as anyone else. The best thing that I can say is that I try to be more. I think I tend to be more aware of it than uh, than sort of the, the average developer who's involved in these conversations.
2: Yes, and I, I guess uh, that uh, – I think it's being aware of your own biases that's so important in, uh, I think, being a better developer and, and well, being a better human being, um, and along with uh, empathy and trying to understand – the other, uh, the other person's point of view. Um, it's a little, it, I've been thinking a lot of, and I do think a lot about empathy, uh, and, and how important that is. I, and, uh, I was just watching, I had just finished watching his documentary about Robert McNamara called The Fog of War. And I don't know if you've seen it, but it was really good. It actually won an Academy Award. Uh, it was by Errol Morris. And, uh, he talked about, um, he, he, in the, the documentary set up like these life lessons essentially that Robert McNamara learned through his life of at least in, in work. And, uh, he talks about, one of them he talks about was it was in the context of the Cuban Missile Crisis. And he talks about, and one of, one of the lessons is, uh, empathize with your enemy. And the idea being that they essentially decided that this, you know, they tried to understand the point of view of the um, of of Soviets in the Cuban Missile Crisis, and that's why they made the decisions that they did uh, it, to uh, hold off on military intervention, and that kept a a World War III from happening. Um, and also said that um, uh, the uh, lack of empathy was what kept that what put the U.S. into Vietnam uh because they were fearful they they thought to themselves well the that that you know the vietnamese were being manipulated say by the chinese or this or that or whatever and they're fearful that there was going to lead to an overall you know uh, communist domino effect in in the region and uh they failed to empathize uh, or understand the point of view that the that the, the chinese viewed that as simply a civil war in a country they didn't care about and frankly actually didn't like very much uh so it was interesting to hear that um he of course applies it in a perspective that's you know uh different um and maybe a little maybe much more pragmatic uh but i think that it's it's really essential to think about that because i think uh you know think about those both sides of it understanding your own biases and trying to understand another person's point of view and putting yourself in in their skin and uh i think you're a better uh, you're, you're better at your profession, no matter what that profession is when you do that. And I generally think you end up being a better person too. So uh, I'll I
1: shut agree up. agree with that, yeah. No, in, in fact, the the bit about know, know thy enemy, know thyself, I think comes out of Sun Tzu, the art of war. Right.
2: What do you think about that, Chris?
0: Uh, no, I I think that uh, empathy is <laughs> definitely something that's missing in a lot of people. I had an interesting discussion with, a uh, brief discussion with Steve Klabnick, um, who are, who, are, who has agreed to come on the show. We just have to work on a, a date for him to come on. And Steve is really big on social justice and stuff. And, and, um, uh, one of the problems I see that a lot of people claim to have empathy, but it's empathy with strings attached. It's like, I'm going to help you, but you have to do something in exchange for my help instead of just being, instead of just being very open and just saying, I will help you because I want to help you. Not because I have an agenda. I mean, uh,
1: uh, I can well, think of I, you, everyone's yeah. I'm sorry, go ahead, please.
0: Well, I was just gonna say like, it's, I mean, of course everybody does have their own agenda, but i I mean, I think about when, yeah. when I think about uh, being empathetic towards people and wanting to help people, I do stuff all the time to help people. Um, Maybe not like on the like you know ph- philanthropist level where I'm donating tons of money but I donate time and I help people out and I do stuff and it's never with strings attached it 's never with an understanding I'm doing this for you because later you are going to do something for me it's not like there's not an agenda it's not like i'm going to I 'm helping you because I like your political views I help I'm helping you because I want you to believe my religious views I'm helping you because I want you to um, believe the same social things that I believe it's like it's about empathy is about being able to understand how other people feel, how other people other than yourself feel about things. And I think a lot of people are missing that skill. I think it's a, I personally think it's a basic human survival skill. If you have never learned to think how other people think about things, you're going to have a very weird, um, stunted and twisted life, in my opinion. Because if you judge everything only by how you think it is, then you are missing out on so many opportunities to just not only make your life better, but make other people's lives better. I mean, uh, but again, you have to take this with a grain of salt because I live in a socialist country.
1: Right. I, I, and I wasn't going to break up the socialism bit, but I i mean, you guys know me that I'm uh, more of a libertarian uh, depending on, you know, to anyone on the left, I'm a I'm a raging conservative to anyone on the right. I'm I'm a hippie liberal. Um, Without getting too deep in it, I I would argue that you can't avoid having your own agenda. You can't avoid doing things for your own own reasons. That the real key has to be not empathy per se. It has to be a true desire for the growth of the other person. And anything coming from that true desire for the growth of the other person, I think, is probably going to be good. Uh, And anything else that is masquerading as empathy is probably going to be
2: bad. Yeah, I can dig that point of view. Libertarian, huh? Yeah, well.
0: I guess we all have flaws, right, Paul?
2: I don't
1: do anything that's popular. Let's be clear (laughs) on that. Basically, if I'm part of it, it's guaranteed not to be be popular.
0: What was that old saying? Some people's uh, role in life is to tell you what not to do.
1: Yeah, yes, to, to act as, as an example for others of what not to do, yes. Yes, yes.
0: So let's see, what else is on our list of things we wanted to talk about? Huh? But I don't know. I don't think, I think we covered everything that we wanted to cover, and we're actually a little bit light on time. There must be something else we can discuss. I don't want to end it I on, mean, I, I don't want to end it on like a philosophical note where, we, where the, uh, the socialist Canadian talks about wanting to lift everybody up in exchange for really nothing, and the libertarians like, you can't avoid having an agenda, which is true, but it doesn't make me feel good. Being telling me that I have my, I have an agenda. I just like to think that it's an agenda that's wanting to make other people better instead of an agenda to make me better at the expense of other people.
1: I think you guys got some good red meat that we sort of hinted at, but we didn't really talk about in depth. And that was, you, you talked about framework politics. And my guess is that that question rose up from the sort of the, 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 the Jets versus Sharks fight that occurred on my blog between uh, some, some Laravel lovers and, and, uh, and myself. Um, I could talk about that if you feel like it.
0: Sure, what oh, else are we going to talk about? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. On, so it's interesting.
1: I wrote, I wrote this post called Publish Your Failures, and you know, it's subtitled, you know, The Way of All Frameworks. And there was, uh, there was a Reddit thread about this where people really some people really misunderstood what my point was and, uh, some other people on the, on the blog comment, including, uh, Taylor Otwell, the, the author of Laravel, whom, uh, who probably should be called up at some point so that he can give his version of events as well. Um, basically the article was about, uh, this, this guy who wrote a, a, an article about ORM abstraction. And I thought it was one. of really, I thought it was one of the best articles I've seen all year, uh, with, made me think it was interesting was because it made me think of uh, uh, Feynman, when he does his cargo cult talk about how important it is in science, not just to publish your successes, but to publish your failures as well. The guy who wrote this article about RM abstraction mentioned, you know, that he uses a, a particular framework, you know, he calls it his framework of choice. And then he proceeds in that article to try to do some work outside of that framework because he realizes there are other ways to do things and he wants to try to unify those ways of doing things. And in doing this work, he, he really can't pull it off. He fails at the thing, the, the goal that he set it out for himself. And he answers with like, no technical artifact for all the work that he's done. What I think was important about that article was not the fact that he failed at it. It's the fact that he, is now, he has now shown others how difficult it is to do that particular kind of thing. And then in addition to that, he has now expanded his skills as a programmer beyond just his framework of choice. You know, he happens to like this particular way of doing things, and now he's tried doing things other ways. And in trying to do that, he has expanded his skills so that's like part one and part two is because it's it's very it's important to be able to work outside your particular framework of choice because, and this is where we get to sort of the core of your article, because your framework is gonna fail you at some point. It doesn't matter how good the framework is right now, if you wrote it yourself, if it is literally, you know, if it is factually provable that it's the best thing that's currently available, it doesn't matter how good the framework is, it's going to fail you eventually. You know, in three or four years, you know, something's gonna go wrong. You have to dive into the guts of the thing, and it's gonna sort of detach you from from the rest of the community for that reason. Uh, and then as an example of that, I link to another article about someone who's using a different framework, a legacy framework. And again, for the terms of this article, legacy is kind of a funny word. The thing is only four years old, but because they're locked to this four-year-old thing, they've got tons of problems. And then I go on to say, well, the, the question is not, can you avoid using a framework then? I mean, you have to use a framework. No matter what you do, you're going to have some set of code, tools, techniques, processes that you use from one project to the next. That series of stuff that you do every time, that's your framework. So you really can't avoid using one. The question when it comes to your framework is going to fail you is not do you avoid using frameworks. The question is how do you manage change? How do you manage fit? How do you manage the failure when that happens? Uh, and so how you'd go about preparing for failure and change. And then I circle back at the end to say, you know, that this guy who wrote the article about ORM, ORM abstraction, by taking these steps outside of his framework of choice, the, the author begins to get an idea that of how to integrate all of this independent disparate stuff. And in the long run, that ability to integrate these different things that he's not used to being able to deal with. That's going to serve him better as a programmer than his knowledge of any particular framework. Then, of course, I mentioned Aura at the very end because I got to mention Aura on everything. Um, so that's the article and you can go out and read it on the blog. Uh, Taylor Otwell came in afterwards and just started, he started right off the bat by saying, I don't buy it. And then he goes on to make the serious misstatement about what I've said in the article. He says, uh, and I'm quoting from I'm paraphrasing from memory here, that, uh, the point of the article is that you, that you have to, but you can't bind yourself to a framework. Uh, but really then it's okay to bind yourself to aura, which is like the exact opposite of what I'm saying. Uh, so the whole blow up was over that. And the people on Reddit are talking about how I'm clearly criticizing Laravel when I have said nothing of the sort. I I do quote Taylor himself about his own work in it. Um, And some people say that I'm quoting him out of context. I mean, I clearly provide a link to the full context of the conversation on Twitter. So that was the, that was the blow up. And I, and I, I am still confused as to why people think that there's criticism of Laravel in there when there's no criticism of anything, neither Laravel nor symphony, which is the, the basis of the other article. Um,
0: Haters gonna so hate,
1: the, man. Haters are gonna hate. Yeah, and I, I said that on Twitter too. Haters gonna hate. Um, now, when we get, but when we talked about having the, the empathy thing earlier, I mean, I, I when I was on Reddit, I tried to point out to people that you know, okay, I understand that you believe that I have said something. Can you show me where in the article you have some? Uh, uh, can you provide some quote or something that I have said that makes you believe this? And you know, really, none of them were able to say anything other than I, you know, I quoted Taylor. Um, so again, t- Taylor, should, you, should, you should get a hold of him, uh, see what he has to say about it, uh, I don't, and, and he's, he's actually failed to respond to me directly uh, on, any of the, on any of the things that I've said to him about his, his misstatement. Uh, in the comments, he starts off... With that misstatement, he goes on to like some other other comments that are really at right angles to everything I've said in the article.
0: Well, I mean, my own personal experience with with Taylor, I mean, I, I don't think I'd want him on the podcast to be perfectly blunt because really he doesn't ever seem to understand when he said something wrong and doesn't apologize when he's clearly been wrong about something. So I don't really enjoy having conversations with people like that. I don't, I mean, I don't. I don't think it would. I don't think a podcast of him and I sniping at each other over stuff would be really productive. When I'm trying to be funny, not mean, when I'm on this podcast. Right. Like I say, my Twitter account is. Uh, I do performance art. Really, you can't do. You can't do forty thousand plus tweets uh, on your account and not be performance art. Really, so.
1: Uh, right. Like, you know, well, I've never had any dealings with him, so well, I, I can't have say on, what he's I have like on Twitter. Person.
0: And yeah, and, had, and I had people like coming on and telling me, you know, I need to grow, like telling me that I need to grow up and that, and Taylor, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, so what, Taylor's magical because he created some framework? Okay. Okay, sure. I guess I've done nothing with my career. Um, so whatever, right? Um, and just, the, I mean, the blow up I had with Taylor was over, um, His blind loyalty to someone who lied about the behavior of people at a meetup group where some people made some questions about oh laravel.
1: i heard about that right? yeah some
0: people a guy was given a talk about laravel some people asked some questions why does laravel use this statics thing it's not statics it's a facade and people blah 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 and so the guy tells Taylor, oh yeah taylor i was talking to these people and man they were like heckling me over this thing and so taylor's like yeah fuck those guys what do they know blah 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 and after they point out to the guy they're asking him legitimate questions about why you've chosen a, a set of tools that looks like something that an other than it really is. You're confusing some people with your with your chosen patterns. And that was the whole thing. You don't know about it's Okay. You know, a big thing of back and forth. I'm like, couldn't you just apologize and say, sorry, I misconstrued the conversation instead of he just kept repeating, like, the guy said he was being heckled. I'm like, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, I'm like, it's like I'm talking to my my eight-year-old daughter about something who just keeps... You know keeps hiding behind one statement, saying the same thing over and over again, thinking that me, a grown adult who is who actually uses logic and argues with people, is going to buy the lame excuse of well, I said it because he said it how about how about he said it, and I was wrong is like the missing part of the statement, so that is probably the main reason why. Why I wouldn't want Mr. Otwell on the, on the podcast simply because I don't think we would be able to have uh, a constructive conversation about anything because in the back of my mind would always be if I say something and he says it wrong, dude is not going to admit that he's wrong about anything. So why do I want to talk to people like I'm interested in yep. having good conversations with people and that doesn't sound like a good conversation. So if you I like, Lara- yeah. like Laraville, I'm sorry. You want to go use it? Go ahead and use it. <laughs> but it ain't going to be me using it and I'm not talking to Taylor about anything.
2: I can totally understand that. The only, th- the only one point I might make is I think a lot of times when you actually, it, well, let's say, I was going to say face-to-face uh, voice chat with people, uh, they uh, behave very differently than they behave behind the keyboard. I totally agree. Totally yeah. agree. If you and, get and, down and with and beers or bourbon or whatever it might any, be different.
0: Well, and anyone who knows me knows I am exactly the same person as I am when I'm sitting behind the
2: keyboard.
1: Yeah, you're weird so, like so that. I I am glad to hear that you're consistent. I'm glad to hear that you're always grumpy.
0: Sure, I'm always grumpy. When you work in this industry as long as I have, man, there's tons to be grumpy about. It never goes away. Mm -hmm. You want to talk (laughs) about a a smell that never leaves? Web programming for
1: for, for 15 years. That's a a stain that never washes away. When when are you going to another conference, dude? What's the next place you're going to be at?
0: Well, of course, I have True North. Uh, which is my own conference, which I'm All sad right. to say we. Okay, we, you but,
1: don't get to plug your. Yeah, actually, you do it. Your, your. Of course, I get to so plug stuff. Play. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So my, that's that's later this week. Um,
0: I'm going to I'm going to be at Ski PHP in January, and I'm going to I'll be there. Be there, right on. Yes, and also I will be at um, uh, Sunshine PHP as well.
1: So we're we're both going to hit the snow and, and the beach. Excellent.
0: Yes, I'm take, I, just like LeBron James. I'm going to take my skills to South Beach. Excellent! It's going to be awesome.
2: (laughs) Then they're going to ask you to leave.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, Ed, are you are you going anything?
2: Uh, Yes, yes. Uh, I'm well. I'm going to True North, and then uh, I am going to do ski PHP. They asked me to speak there, so
1: I'll have to get drinks,
2: man. Yeah, that'd be nice. Oh, don't get me started on. Oh, I
1: gotcha. Yeah, we'll have we'll a conference. choice. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I understand. I listened last. I should, have, I should have kept my mouth shut. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. that was pretty fun. Um,
2: <laughs> you see, Paul, you get, and
0: I will get drunk and we'll make fun of Ed for all his problems, is how it's going to work go, out. There you go. That,
2: that's Yeah, that'll go for just <laughs> great. What
1: was that empathy thing before?
2: Yeah. He doesn't even want to
1: drink. What's wrong with him? <laughs> <laughs> you no, know, you can drink your pain away,
0: Ed. That's how everyone else does it.
2: I have a prescription that takes my pain away. Oh, sir. Excellent.
0: And if you lived up here, you could probably get it for cheaper.
2: Oh, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I have to wait for but those things to be generic before they get real cheap. Uh, uh, no, it's scary how expensive some of that crap is here. Yes, it's it's uh, nuts. I don't want to start talking about that because I think Paul and us might get in fights. <laughs> so, uh, uh, dude, you, yeah you know me better than that <laughs> yeah no no i think what would happen is we'd all say the whole system's fucked and there's nothing uh, to do about it yeah that's, that, that sounds pretty much like it yeah
0: so let me see if i understand this correct we're basically ending the podcast on making fun of ed because he doesn't drink and me saying <laughs> that i don't want taylor on the podcast because i don't think we could have a civil conversation i think that's a good point uh to, to end the
2: podcast yeah, real, real upbeat note. Uh, yeah, real upbeat note. So, Paula, uh, so,
0: thanks, thanks so much for joining us on what was pretty much short notice uh, arranging things. It was good to have you on. I'd wanted to get you on here for a while, um, just because you know you had some topics that I wanted to cover. So that's always good. So let's, of course, let's thank our awesome sponsors, Engine Yard, fine, fine purveyors of platform as uh, platform as a service. I need to slow down when I'm talking, getting punchy um, this late in the day for me because it's really eleven, but it's only ten. I'm all messed up with that. Uh, fallback thing. Um, so Engine Yard, if you like running your stuff in little scalable sandboxes uh, and you do PHP stuff, you do Ruby. I'm pretty sure they do some Node stuff, and they're probably branching out into Python as well. You can go check things out on Engine Yard's website. Thanks so much for the sponsorship. And as always, Paul Reinheimer and Will, as Sean Oates correctly pointed out earlier, uh, from Wonder Network, thanks so much for providing us with the bandwidth. Um, we're on. You can find us on Twitter, uh, dev underscore hell, Every time we record, we're in free note on the DevHell channel where you can come and join in the conversation. And sometimes we'll even talk about the things you talk about inside uh, IRC. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, Grumpy Program Without the U. You can find Ed Funkatron with the U. You can find every single episode we have ever done on DevHell.info. We are also on iTunes. If you listen to us on iTunes, please, please, please rate the podcast so we can keep doing the things that you guys like and stop doing the things that you don't like. Um, like I said, I'll be seeing some people, some of the people listening to this podcast, I'll be seeing you guys at True North PHP later this week and in early in the new year at Ski PHP. I will be there. Ed will be there. Paul will be there. And then also at Sunshine PHP. Ed, I didn't see, are you going to Sunshine PHP?
2: No, I'm not. Uh, I have to uh, had to scale back some of my speaking engagements a little bit too. No but Paul and I will be there. Yeah. Um, you guys are going. Yeah, I will yeah, be there. I,
0: thought... uh, I will be doing my usual grumpy shtick performance art thing about testing. Paul will be talking about. Uh, why things were this way when I got here and things about properly building your own ORM to stitch queries together, you know, stop doing, uh, uh, 200 selects when you can do a select star in type thing. Um, but so anyway, I think that's all I got for tonight. So thank you very much internet. And we will see you guys. Uh, I don't know. Ed and I might record something. Um, when we're at true North, I don't know if we'll have a guest I don't even know where if when and where we'll record it, but we'll figure something out. Maybe we'll do a special in the bar. Um, Session after Friday night at the hotel. We'll find a quiet corner and 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 Ed and I will just ramble on about some shit.
2: That sounds like the usual activity. But
0: but we'll be there in person instead of doing an over skip. So um, thanks everybody in IRC and we'll talk to you guys later. Bye everybody.
2: Bye, Internet.